Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the Brickflips Fright Fest preview podcast. Welcome to Fright Fest preview series. And today we're talking to Hell and Back, the Kane Hodder story, which is showing at the festival this year. And I'm pleased to have with me Derek Dennis Herbert, director of the film. Hello, Derek. Hello. Uh, nice. Thanks for having us. And producer Andrew Barcello. Hi. Hi, Stuart. How are you? Good. How are you doing today? Good, good, good. Um, right then. So as a starting point, um, let's just give a brief synopsis as to what, I mean, there's a lot of clues in the title as to what this documentary is, but do you want to give a brief, I guess Derek here at the starting point, do you want to give us a brief synopsis as to what what this documentary became as a story? Yeah, of course. Um, honestly, I always like to describe it as the following way. Uh, first of all, the, the tagline gives a lot away. He's been beaten, bullied, and burned, and that's just the beginning of a story. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that says a lot, but also, you know, it's really the story of, like, the harrowing story of a stuntman who is overcoming a dehumanizing childhood filled with torment and bullying, and then surviving a near-death burn accident, working his way up through Hollywood to become, you know, Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th series, and, you know, and Victor Crowley in the Hatchet movies, making people terrified on screen before kind of finding this second or third life, I would say, as uh, a face, like his actual face, being such a big, iconic horror personality. So I kind of think it's the American dream story uh, it, you know, mixed in with it with this horror world, I I think there's something here for everyone, and I'm very excited for people to see it. Uh, starting with Fright Fest uh, coming up very soon. So, so I guess the first question is why this documentary? How, how what what made you start down this road to make a film about Kane? Well, I mean, I heard Kane's story, and, and be it from reading his uh, wonderful autobiography on Mast that he wrote with Michael Aloisi, or by hearing him talking about it on various podcasts or uh, video clips, I just, I got a sense of him and how personal his story was, and how it really is something that a lot of people felt for, and I felt for. Mm. I mean, his book is not easy to read. And I I kind of knew it was something that I wanted to get involved with. So I uh, read the book two times in a row, then then gave it to Andrew. Mm -hmm. And uh, he can kind of pick up his involvement from there. 
Well, let me clarify. When Derek says the book's not easy to read, he means because it's it's a very horrifying story to learn about what Cain went through. Yeah. Um, there, I personally had to take a few breaks when I was reading it, and one of the things that drew me to the project was um, I'm not from the horror world in the same way that Derek is. You know, I I certainly was scared by horror films, but it wasn't something that drew me in specifically. You know, I, I like a good slasher, but you know, I don't know every single person that's been involved in every movie to the same way that, that Derek has. But what drew me into Kane's story was um, kind of this rags to riches kid from a small town, went through some very difficult times, overcame that just through his sheer force of will mm-hmm. and became this horror icon. And there's something very human to that. And there's something that even as someone who's not involved in the horror industry uh, will find fascinating. And and when we show the documentary to people who are not from the horror genre, they can identify with with it because there is such a human interest element to to Kane's story. Um, Not to mention that he's just a great guy and it's a it's a fascinating story to learn about. So when Derek brought it to me, I said, you know, this is something very special. but uh, we need to meet with Kane to see, you know, is this something that he's even interested in? And more importantly, is this someone that we could work with? Because having, you know, been in the entertainment industry for a number of years, you learn very quickly that there are certain people that you want to work with. There are certain people that you can work with. And then there are certain people you want to stay away from. And uh, we learned very quickly that Kane's public persona um, frankly, is even not as nice as he is as a person. Um, you know, he's known for being easy to work with uh, mm-hmm. and being a great person. But but I would say having met him, uh, it's even more so that when you get to really know him. So so the documentary isn't isn't trying to be the book. The documentary is in addition to the book. Is that right? Correct. It is its own uh, separate entity. Now, I will say that it was. Uh, and Mike Aloisi and I, Mike's involved with this documentary. He's interviewed, and it's definitely inspired by it. Like, obviously, I got a lot of the ideas for um, the, a lot of the stuff that led to the movie based on the book. But I feel like it became its own thing. And I really, if you like the movie, you should definitely read the book, and vice versa. If you love the book, you definitely are going to love the movie. It, they're different. They're different uh, types of mediums. So the book's going to give you so many more little tiny details. Uh, but the movie, when you see Kane talk about going through the bullying or the burn and you, you see the tears in his eyes, there's just something about that that you don't get in a book or, or the audio book. Mm. But I, I definitely would recommend you know both of them to people who are interested in the story. Now, for, for the listener's benefit, before we started this podcast, we did a little bit of a preamble. So we, both, we all knew what we were trying to achieve. Now, given what you're sort of insinuating about um, about Kane's life and what he's been through to get to where he is today, you know, and not and, and a lot of it, a lot, I get the impression that it's despite what happened to him, you know, despite what happened to him, he still manages to succeed. Um, how how did that conversation start with Kane and yourselves? Like, you know, we'd like to make a film about you. That's a nice thing, I suppose. But but then but we want to look at this this and this. You know, did you did you sort of draw up a kind of Venn diagram of where of where you'd go with the stuff with what you were going to ask? You know, based on what you understood from the book, or was was it something Kane said? Look, I won't go here. I won't go there. This is what I want to talk about. How did how did that develop? 
I mean, at our conversation with Kane, our, our first conversation, we kind of delved into the fact that we wanted to explore uh, every avenue um, possible. I mean, I believe there was only, uh, and Andrew, you can elaborate on this uh, after I'm done with the sentence, but the, uh, I think there was only like one thing that he kind of said from the beginning he didn't want to explore, but it wasn't anything that was integral to the plot. Everything else was, he was fair game. He was very open and honest and willing to explore some very, uh, you know, heartfelt things in this film. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that, that made this work well was when we met with Kane, we made it clear. Well, first of all, we already knew he was relatively open book because he wrote a book of about course. himself. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but when we met with him, we said, look, you know, we are going to delve into this stuff. We may go into areas that maybe you didn't even mention in the book, um, and, and we want it to be open and honest. But in order to make him feel comfortable, we said, look, you know, we just want to get whatever we can on film. And at the end of the day, we want the integrity to be able to cut the film how we see fit. But we're going to bring it to you. And if there's something that you really, really feel like you shouldn't have said or whatever, let's let's talk about whether or not it should be in there. And the reality is when we were filming, um, there were times Kane was hesitant to talk about stuff either because it was it was painful memories or he had never mentioned it before. Um, And at the end of the day, when we cut the film, uh, I don't think there was anything that he felt shouldn't be in there. Um, I think that he felt his story was done justice. And, and the reality is, you know, when you go into a documentary like this with people being upfront about that, you kind of know that this is going to, this is going to be, you know, be something that you're going to, that points feel uncomfortable with. Yeah. But if it serves the overall story, then, you know, he, he was very open with it and, and very uh, willing to do it. Now, now this may, may seem like an, a, an odd comparison, but um, I remember when I watched um, the Lemmy documentary, you know, the lead singer from Motorhead. Yes. In in that, there was a lot of stuff being said by Lemmy about one of his sons, and his son never gets, appears in it. The son he's talking about never gets any right to reply, which seemed a bit of an odd thing to happen in the documentary. Now, different thing, because if, if you're talking about someone that's overcome de- dehumanising childhood torment and bullying obviously there are names to get mentioned there aren't there um if at all so from a from a legal point of view is that is that a problem for a film for a documentary like this or is is any kind of stuff that's out in the public domain already means that the documentary can cover it quite comfortably and the people who are mentioned don't need don't deserve a right to reply or anything like that well, it's it's interesting because you, you're actually you're right. You know, there's there's been particularly in the U.S. You know, we have libel laws, slander laws, you know, disparagement, all of that that we have to deal with. But mm. what's interesting about Kane is um, when we're talking about the bullying of him as a child, right? You know, there wasn't necessarily one person that picked on him. There may have been a group of people at certain times. Uh, but one of the things that that I don't even know if we ended up putting in this this in the documentary, frankly. But you know, Kane doesn't feel like uh, naming people is appropriate because it, get, it sort of gives them back power in mm-hmm. a way that uh, he didn't he didn't he had grown past. So when we're talking about stuff that went wrong with his childhood, um, he actually didn't name anyone by names. Okay. Uh, same the same goes for when we talk about uh, in the in the documentary. Um, you know, for your for your listeners that haven't seen it, 
You know, Kane, after he was burned in the fire stunt that went wrong, was brought to a brought to a hospital that proceeded to uh, they had a doctor that really didn't know how to properly treat Kane. Uh, and as a result, he went through months and months of torture and infections and nearly died specifically because of the care that he got uh, at this hospital. Um, he does not mention it by name. He doesn't mention his doctor by name. Even in the book, he doesn't refer to the doctor by name. And again, it's the same type of thing of, of him feeling like he's taking uh, control over his own life. So it actually organically worked because we never had to step in and say, oh, don't mention these people. He already, through his own you know, inner growth, had decided that he was letting go of the past by naming specific people. Uh, those people know who they are. Um, and, uh, and, uh, so, you know, it's, it's just, it worked out naturally, but that definitely is something you have to be conscious of, uh, when you're doing this, cause you don't want to disparage someone and, and then not give them the chance of rebuttal. Although frankly, in this case, it really isn't much to rebut because they, you know, there's literal medical records, uh, showing what was done and, uh, and, and what care was taken. So what was your, um, what was your vision, Derek, for the people you bring in to sort of bolster the conversation of what let's let's say the kind of rise of Kane, I suppose is like after 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 the awfulness of what he's survived as a young person then then as an adult trying to get you know work as a stuntman and stuff when you start to then build the story of who he is the, the thing that most people at Fright Fest will be aware of who, who what he's famous for so the people within the horror world so you've got you've got the likes of uh, obviously Robert England Bruce Campbell Sean Cunningham Sid Haig, Bill Mosley, and stuff are, are all in there. So, so what was your, what was your your kind of want from those people in terms of getting them in your documentary, or was it a case of they said we want to be in the documentary because we need to tell you about how great Kane is? Or what? I mean, what happened was we literally just I, I sat down with uh, at first and made a list of everyone I'd I'd like to appear and and why I want them to appear, uh, mm. such as I knew that uh, Cassandra Peterson. Yeah. Herself, uh, who plays Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, is a fellow burn survivor, like Kane. Mm -hmm. So I knew that if we could get her on camera talking about Kane's horror stuff, we could also explore a little bit of the, as a fellow burn survivor, what do you think of how he went through, what, you know, what he went through, how do you think he, you know, coping with that kind of a thing, the emotional, uh, you know, aftermath of being burned, all of that. So like everyone had a had a reason for being interviewed and and uh, every single person um, w that is in the film that we asked they all said yes and and we had a bunch of other people say yes later on like as the film was announced yeah uh, it became much easier uh, or a lot of people came forward and at that point we unfortunately didn't really shoot anybody else uh, because the film was already mostly done and we already had, I think there was, I think we had 32 hours of footage of just Kane interviews and like nine hours of footage uh, at least of other people. It might have been more like 12. Hmm. So already to get that down to the 108 minute movie you see was a process. So we didn't really have room for a lot of other people, which was unfortunate because there's a lot of people we obviously, you know, would have loved to include, but I think we have a great mixture of people from uh, – we have, like, Mike Aloisi from the book, Adam Green, who Kane's very close to, who did the Hatchet films, um, John Carl Beekler, the director and makeup artist of uh, Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, 
Mm. And so many different people in here that really kind of helped tell Kane's story as a as a whole and build it up. When, when he was being cast in these roles, you know, for 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 Friday and for for Hatchet and stuff, were the people he's working with aware of this past that he he'd survived through when he was getting these roles? Or was he was was that not part of the conversation? I um I will say this: Kane until the book that mm. did not tell many people about uh, the burn. Like some of his closest friends didn't know that the full real story. He usually would say it happened on like the set of a pilot of a TV show that never aired in a stunt yeah. or something like that. And like, uh, you know, it was a stunt gone wrong, but it, it wasn't because of this pilot thing, but it, uh, there were like Adam green knew mm. uh, during the hatchet time, which was previous to the book. But um, like back in Friday, the 13th part seven, I'm not sure if anyone really knew they knew he had, survived a burn mm. they just didn't know the whole story behind it is the irony not lost on him at all these kind of roles he ended up playing oh no he's very conscious of it you know one of the questions that he says is you know or that he he answers in the film is you know does he reach back to those experiences to help um you know play these roles and and he you know the, the answer is yes you know he he basically does you know reach back to that and it was one of the questions that as part of the documentary we actually go back to the hospital that um that's ended up saving Kane's life it's his first time going back there since they discharged him mm -hmm. um and we we point blank ask the uh the uh the the uh one of the nurses that was there at the time um and 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 still works there she's now the director of the burn center um is it abnormal that someone who is a burn survivor would go on would go on and, and willingly be around fire light themselves on fire again like this and she said it's extremely abnormal because yeah that's you, awesome. you've got someone who nearly died from this most people when when they go through and survive a burn um, they don't even want to see fire in movies, let alone willingly light themselves on fire. And she says it's a real testament to the type of personality that he has, um, that he was willing to do it. And, and in the documentary we cover, you know, we asked him, uh, you know, did you hesitate? Were you worried to go back? I mean, what, what spurred you to, I mean, literally he, at one point, uh, in one of the, uh, uh the Friday movies, he has the longest uh, on-screen burn. He set a world record for the longest on-screen burn. Mm. Uh, and and you know how is it that someone can be a burn survivor and yet do that? And what he he sort of reveals in the film is um, he didn't really give much thought to it. Um, he had a friend uh, they were working on a film and just said, "Hey, we've got this fire stunt. Do you want to do it?" And uh, he said, "You know, it wasn't a question of are you comfortable with it. It was just can you do it?" And he said, "And I and I knew." Um, you know, if not now, then probably never. And I just need to do it and get over it. And he did, and and it went well. And and um, you know, now he's he's known for these these crazy stunts. And it's it's pretty surprising that someone was able to do that. Yeah, and he always says he always says how easy they are. Apparently, right. fire stunts are very easy to do for stunts because if you think about it, it makes sense. I mean, you're not putting yourself in a, a flipping car where you can get like a migraine. You're not. Doing this, if it's done correctly, mm -hmm. it's a, pretty much just walking around and then laying down. And that's what Kate always says. It's like you have to know how to do it, and you have it's to the easiest to on the, the body. Right people. Exactly. It's, it, do you get the sense that there was there was there's an element of catharsis going on there then? For I would say yes. I mean, I think that he, um, 
I think the idea that he's he overcame it and mm. everything is every time he does it is probably a uh, you know like a, a testament to like you know that he can still do it. I mean, it, it's definitely a testament to his force of will to be able to kind of will himself to do that first one again and mm. get back into it. I think now he just loves it. I think it's a level of taking control too. You know, he yeah. he he owns it and he takes control over it. And um, you know, same as going into these into these roles as a as a as a killer, right? You know, as someone who's been bullied, you know, stepping in and taking control. Exactly, I think yeah. is definitely a, a cathartic experience for him. Um, you know, and it's it's funny because he's a guy that that, and as you learn in the documentary, and certainly as you read in the book. Uh, you know, Kane steps in when people are being bullied. He doesn't like to see someone get picked on. And you, you even see it, you know, in his personal life. If he if he sees something going wrong or someone getting picked on or some bad situation, he'll step in. You know, I've seen him do it personally where he just, you know, just to step in and say, hey, is, is everything OK? Are you doing all right? Uh, is this person bothering you? And he just he's very conscious of that. What were some of the, let's say, pleasant surprises that you were able to sort of find out about Kane that you didn't know going into making the movie. Well, I'd say one of the one of the biggest surprises was um, in the in the book he sort of talks about his family, um, but we were worried that he may or may not allow his family to be filmed. One of the things people may or may not know about Kane is he's a very his personal life he keeps very separate from the horror genre okay. uh, and very private about. Um, you know, his his kids, I think, you know, they maybe only went on a few movie sets while they were growing up of his, okay. um, not because they wanted to keep them away, but just because they wanted to keep it separate. And one of the things that I was pleasantly surprised about was uh, their willingness to participate in the film. I think it's the first time his his uh, sons have ever appeared uh, other than other than they, they have a. a uh, cameos in the, the Hatchet series, but other than, you know, just kind of showing up. Uh, on set, uh, you know, them being open to being interviewed was a, was a surprise. And one of the things that shocked me and will probably shock people to watch is just how normal his family is. I mean, like, like abnormally normal, you know, they're his wife, <laughs> his wife is a, his wife is a therapist. His kids are extremely intelligent kids. Um, you know, one's in grad school right now, the others in, in college and they're just, uh, you know, brilliant, kind family. And it just, is such a stark contrast to his public persona. Um, it was it was a real joy to to get to see that unfold on on film. How did you? What were the challenges for you to contain the story you wanted to tell to your kind of you know 140 minutes or so? Because I imagine you had a lot more footage than 140 minutes to uh, to, to review, and you maybe maybe you have. And also, I guess it's that thing, and it's, it, it's, it always sounds weird when you say it in films, but, but you know, like in, in, in business, you have this, you have the thing called project creep, don't you, where you start off with something, and then you begin to do it, and you begin, you could be all over the show if you let it go out of, out of bounds of where it was meant to be. So how did you, A, did you keep it on track in terms of what, what story you wanted to tell, and B, what then became the storytelling challenges for you? with the footage that you managed to accrue. Uh, I'll say this for, for this film, uh, we kind of took a more organic approach to it. Like okay. I had a basic idea of what I wanted to tell, Yeah. but we kind of did let it, I wouldn't say we let it organically tell itself. Like it was very important to us that Kane, Kane's interviews kind of led where the movie went. So we had, we had 39 hours of footage of Kane plus 
other people, something like that. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. Uh, and then we, like, we had to, obviously, the editor and I had to review it all and then figure out the exact, and we literally, from that point, uh, did a, on a cork board, just a bunch of index cards. Yeah. We put up and, like, went into detail in the story we wanted to tell in the edit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not saying we edited anything misleading because we didn't, but it was just like, where are we going to organize the stories so that it fits this, you know, it was always our goal to get it under two hours. Well, my okay. goal was to just get it under three because <laughs> for a long time, we, our first cut was over six hours and I didn't think there was anything we can cut. Now I knew there was, mm. I just didn't know it wasn't an easy to cut it down from six hours. It wasn't easy to cut it down from three hours to two hours. It definitely wasn't easy to go from two to 108 minutes, you know. It, uh, but I think it's the strongest version of the film the way it is now. I mean, there'll be plenty of bonus features for people who are excited about it uh, on Blu-ray and everything else because we do have that stuff edited. Yeah. It's just a matter of um, I think this 108-minute version is – a very, very strong film. And uh, to go back to your original question, to kind of keep it under control, I wrote questions uh, to, for Kane um, based on the book, other interviews, and my own uh, curiosities mm-hmm. on his story. Um, and we literally would just sat down for four days, two in Los Angeles in a soundstage and two uh, in, a, in a Hawaii uh, hotel room and delved into like every aspect of his life there. And then for everybody else, it was questions tailored around the films they appeared in around the personal life they knew about, et cetera, to kind of, um, you know, get the most out of every interview. I mean, I'd say the biggest challenge we had, which we were able to overcome was uh, there weren't, there's not that many people to talk about Kane's early life. Right. um, As he, because of the burns and everything, and you learn about this in the movie, he doesn't really have, uh, other than his wife and kids and his wife's family, he doesn't have a connection anymore to his own family, like his his sisters and everything. He doesn't really talk to. Right. So that led to some challenges only because we didn't have people to interview for, like, childhood memories. Plus, even if we could, his sisters were uh, half-sisters and they were much older than he was, so they might not have even been there for a lot of these moments anyway. I'm guessing for you guys, being so close to it, everything was important because it was all telling the story, wasn't it? But ultimately, you've still got to make a piece of entertainment that is a documentary that is lean and and has a beginning, middle and end. Yeah, Derek? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I I think when Derek had the first edit and he like he mentioned, you know, he he said, oh, I don't know what we can cut out. I know stuff needs to be cut, but I don't know what. I intentionally did not sit in the the initial part of the editing process. Okay. Uh, once they had come down to this initial cut, that's when they brought me in uh, to to give my feedback so they could get a more objective opinion. And then we were able to cut it down significantly. And then I, you know, uh, had uh, other, you know, you bring in other uh, colleagues to take a look at, you know, the the more I'll say more reasonable cut when you, you know, three hours, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but ultimately at the end of the day you just have to stop and think is is this integral to the story is there a more concise way to do it and you know is this entertaining 
and and once you start answering those questions, wh- what I said to Derek is when we had this conversation at one point when he said, I can't possibly, two and a half hours, I can't possibly see how we can cut any more out of this. I said, you got to think about it this way. And anyone that's a filmmaker, you know, I would recommend, or certainly for a first time, to think of it this way. If you've got a clip and you have to rate it on the scale of one to 100, if yeah. it's not a 100, just cut it. Because even if you're putting in something that's 98% of the way there, if it's taking up extra time, it's diluting the rest of the stuff that's 100%. And at the end of the day, if you've kept only the stuff that's a 100, you've got a phenomenal film. And it's a very painful process to go through, uh, but you know, you, the end result uh, is, is significantly better. We brought in an, an, an editor who had, who had not been involved in the production of the film um, to do the editing. And now I assisted edited, but he was the one who really... And that helped who really edited it, and that helped a great deal because he didn't have this cloudy, having worked on the movie for a year Mm. and a half already process. Like, he was coming to it fresh, watched all the footage, and was able to put together, even the six-hour cut was, I'm assuming, far more concise than the cut I would have put together. (laughs) I assume my first cut would probably have been 12 hours because I had had the, I knew what, all the stuff, and there were a lot of things he cut at the beginning that we ended up figuring a way to put back in just because, um, you know, I really liked it. But I think having a somebody who's outside of it put it together and, and do a great job with it, I mean, that really, I think, started the process, made it easier. And then getting these other outside views of colleagues we respect, I mean, that is a, a huge help as well to at least get your mind thinking, okay, if this area isn't working, is it the section itself or is it the placement? You know, a lot of times moving stuff around within the movie would help without having necessarily cut anything. Um, you know, entire sections, if they were placed earlier or later, could help the pacing of the film. What do you, what do you, what do you think uh, is, hit for you, a sort of quintessential uh, Kate Hodder performance for you? That's an interesting question. I mean, I, I'll, I'll jump into it because a couple popped into my mind, and Derek, you can have a second to think about it. But, you know, for me, um, Kane playing Jason was something that terrified me as a kid. Um, I, I will never forget, uh, God, I think I accidentally saw part seven when I was young. And from that moment forward, literally, I would walk into our local video store. They had a VHS of, I think it was Jason Goes to Hell, uh, in the back corner. And I would not walk to that side because I was convinced that Jason would, you know, come get me at night. So <laughs> as, a, as a kid, that, that definitely influenced me. Now, as an adult, um, I actually love um, the Hatchet series. Uh, I think it's fun. I think it's, it's entertaining. And, and one of my favorite parts is... Kane's portrayal of Victor's father um, because he gets to take the mask off. He gets to show his emotion. Um, and even my wife, when she watches it, you know, she feels so terrible for poor Victor, you know, because, you know, look what his father went through. Look what he went through. And, and I love that that Kane's able to portray this sensitive, soft guy, um, you know, in playing the father. That's um, something special, I think, uh, and, and really shows more of his his caring personality, uh, even though, uh, you know, he still plays a killer. <laughs> yeah. Obviously Jason is a, is a, is a great character of his. I mean, he played, uh, even more recently. I mean, he was just on set again this week for 
for mocap for more video game stuff and mm. i was on set with some of that in the early stages and it um is incredible to see him back in that role even if it is uh performance only because he really gets into it but yeah i always say that hatchet uh hatchet is on my list of my, some of my top films of all time not just horror films okay. hatchet is is one of them and so the hatchet series really i mean that's what that's where I knew came from more than Jason. I didn't really watch Friday the 13th films until a few years ago, but I knew about I've known about Hatchet for for the whole 10 years it's been out. And uh so I definitely feel like Kane is one of those people that uh especially now being able to show like in the Hatchet films his his face as the father or in uh you know Movies like uh, BTK being able to play a, a you know crazy serial killer, getting to show his face like Kane is a great actor, and I personally am excited to see what he does with his now ability to show his face. From from what we hear, uh, you know he has some great movies coming up soon where it's him showing his face. So I'm kind of excited about his new like career reinvention. It's exciting that at at, at um you know at this point in his career he can still be reinventing still be uh challenging himself and he's more than willing to challenge himself for a role and that's very admirable for somebody to not just like sit there and and take roles like just doing what he knows how to do but to really you know get outside of the his comfort zone is uh Definitely a testament to his personality. He's definitely not someone who gives up on anything. Now it's it's going to be your um, your European premiere at Frankfurt, isn't it? Yes, it's uh, uh, technically it's even our world premiere. This oh, is really? the first public screening. Yeah, we've uh, we've had of it. The uh, so we're very excited to be at Frightfest, and uh, you know, it's a uh, Saturday, August twenty sixth, three thirty p.m. Uh, tickets. On sale at the Frightfest website. I mean, buy them. We're hoping, obviously, we're going to sell out because... Uh, we'll be there. <laughs> we'll be there, yeah. We'll be there. Kane will be there. Um, so many different people. My parents are even flying out They uh, from New York to uh, to support the film. I mean, it's definitely going to be a lot of fun, and uh, the Q&A will be amazing. I think anybody who has the ability to should come and check it out uh, because, you know... We're very excited to see it on the big screen. Well, look, guys, thanks very much for your time coming on the Blitfish podcast. No, thanks, thanks for, for having, having us. You have been listening to the Blitfish Fright Fest Preview Podcast. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.